You're listening to RTI Audio, powered by Rocky Top Insider. This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler and Ryan Jumpert. Alright, and here we go. Welcome into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass Podcast. Today is Wednesday, August the 24th. It is a beautiful day here in Knoxville, Tennessee. The birds are chirping, the sun is shining, and most importantly, students are back on campus at the University of Tennessee. We will get into all that and more coming up today. But hey, it's a beautiful day. Thank you for joining in with the show today. Just eight days, that's right, eight days before the Tennessee season opener against Ball State in Neyland Stadium. We will be getting you ready for that game. We'll be getting you ready for the season, talking about what we have seen so far during the month of August. All coming up on the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass today. My name is Rick Butler. Joined with me to my left, as always, is the one, the only, Ryan Shumpert. Good afternoon, my friend. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Glad to be uh, back in here in, in person this week, talking a little ball. And like you said, eight, eight days away, it just keeps getting closer and closer. And uh, still a little bit more talking to do, but it, it's, almost, it's almost time for, for Tennessee to get out on the field and uh, uh, get this season started. Yeah, you can tell that the that the season is knocking on the door. It is right around the corner. And Ryan, I don't know if that was as evidenced by anything as much as trying to get to the Tim Banks press conference this morning on campus. You and I, we've obviously been going to Tennessee plenty in the last couple weeks for practices, for press conferences, whatever it may be. But luckily, students haven't been on campus yet. Now, last week we had to deal with a little bit of move-in day, but it wasn't a big deal. It did not interfere with our parking plans or getting to campus or getting to the conference rooms, anything like that. Now today, today was a little bit uh, of, a, of a more challenge to, uh, to navigate campus, but at the same time, man, it, it's, it's a rejuvenating feeling, uh, I think, to see all these people in the city, to see all these people on campus. I remember going back to just when I was in college myself and kind of knowing how knowing how that builds excitement. Obviously, for Tennessee athletics, the first thing, uh, besides women's soccer going on right now, the first thing that's on the menu is going to be this football season in eight days. So certainly, I think at least just walking around campus today, knowing that, hey, kids are going to school for the first time today, they're going to classes, figuring everything out, there's still a lot of football excitement in the air, as you can tell, that people are counting down the days until next Thursday. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it's that's 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 the primary uh, activity uh, around yep. that campus, and you're right. It was uh, it was packed today, and made finding parking a little difficult. But that's the nature of the beast. What did what was the the stat that you had told me earlier? I believe Chancellor Plowman maybe tweeted it out or, or talked about something like that. This year's freshman class at, at Tennessee, just as far as the university goes. Yeah, it was just like the largest freshman class in university history. I think is what it was. Um, which again, I think they do that. We were talking about it every year. Yeah. I think every year is the largest freshman class. <laughs> they break their own record. I don't every know year? if they make it up or if they just keep on admitting <laughs> more people. But I, I swear I hear that stat stat every year. Well, today it certainly felt like it. It yeah, certainly definitely. felt like there were more people on campus. But at the same time, while all the people are bustling around uh, campus trying to get to their classes, trying to get to where they need to go, at the same time this morning, Tennessee football on the practice field. Now, Ryan, you and I have not been able to go along with all of the media. Practices, uh, media availability has been closed down this week as kind of the team gets together the, the last final preparations. They are dotting the I's and crossing the T's in preparation for the season coming up. 
Rhino, I want to start talking uh, Tennessee football today with a little bit of roster movement. Going back to last Sunday, you had some significant news with the roster. Running back transfer Lynn J. Dixon is now not uh, no longer a member of the Tennessee program as of Sunday night. That was... That was, uh, at least to me, I was a little bit surprised on, on Sunday just to, to hear that news. Uh, I, I think, you know, you're talking about a guy who just got to the program within the month. I mean, he hadn't even been there three full weeks. I, I believe it was that first Wednesday of training camp in August where he committed to Tennessee. And then the very next day on, on Thursday, he was out there in pads on the field with the Vols. So it's certainly a interesting development. Tennessee believing they were going to add in Lynn J. Dixon, a former national champion with Clemson, after the Lynette Whitehead injury. But it looks like, as things stand right now, that's no longer going to be the case, and Tennessee is going to move into the season without Dixon. What was your immediate reaction to that? Yeah, I mean, I think it was kind of, when you asked what, you know, maybe whether I was surprised or not, it was kind of a yes and a no. You know, I didn't, hadn't heard anything that was indicated to me that Lynn J. Dixon was going to leave. So in that sense, yeah, I was surprised to see it. But at the same time, it, he'd been banged up kind of that last week, and, and even before that, he seemed to be down the packing order he, he, behind both the freshman backs, certainly behind Dylan Sampson, and it seemed like behind Justin Williams-Thomas too. So uh, from the standpoint of I didn't see him making an um, immediate impact, you know, maybe by the end of the season he had been a guy once some injuries happen and once he gets a little bit more familiar with Tennessee's system and playbook, a guy that would be able to help the Vols. But it was one from that aspect of where, He'd only been there two weeks. He'd been there less than uh, Kevin Steele, uh, less time than Kevin Steele spent in Knoxville. <laughs> he doesn't get the, the multi-million dollar buyout that Kevin Steele gets for his service. But in, in that short time, it, it seemed like he wasn't really able to climb his way up the depth chart. And so I guess the lack of contentment from sure. Dixon uh, didn't surprise me. The fact that that manifested in him leaving the program. Yeah, that, that, that certainly makes sense. And, and at the end of the day, you know, regardless of what he does next, wish him the best. But I think when you're talking about just Lynn J. Dixon over the last couple of weeks, we knew we knew what the pros and cons were, were at least kind of projected to be when he came into the program. And when I say that, I mean this. We know that he was an experienced back who who, who can bring you know quality reps to the table. He, he has experience playing in different conferences, has experience in different schools. So from that perspective, certainly bringing a, a positive benefit to this Tennessee running back room. But at the same time, we also know that he didn't necessarily bring the size that was lost with Lenith Whitehead's injury. And, and I think maybe if he did, maybe that kind of maybe that helps propel that spot for him, right? As Tennessee's big six foot two, six foot three running back, because ultimately that's something that the Vols need right now. But at the end of the day, if if that wasn't the that wasn't the position getting filled, he still certainly had speed, agility, quickness, athleticism. But and when you look at Tennessee's running back room right now, that's kind of the entirety uh, of the running back room, almost right, five foot ten, five foot eleven, maybe in that range, uh, and, and super quick and speedy back. So I think at the end of the day, maybe it just wasn't the right fit a- after he went through camp for a little while. There may have other, be- there certainly may have other been uh, other things on the table as well. But a- at least that was kind of my initial reaction. That's and it's pretty much stayed the same throughout the last couple of days as the week has gone by. I just think that hey, it, it probably was not the best fit for whatever reason, uh, and-, and ultimately I don't think that for. At least a, the Tennessee running back room, I, I don't think you lose a whole lot. Um, I, I think that Tennessee is confident in the two, and the Jabari Small and Jalen Wright, and then I think they really like the two freshmen that they have. So certainly you would like more bodies to add to that room. You would like Lynn J. Jixon to be just an available body to to be able to put in the game, but th- that is uh, not going to be the case, and that is Tennessee's running back room. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's you say all that. That's the 
that's where you're, what you're losing is more than anything is you don't you only have four scholarship running backs and that's that's really not much and you know Tennessee hopes that very well could that could be enough guys and that might not come back to bite them and it may not be a big issue but it potentially could uh, too if there are some injuries and not having that fifth scholarship back I think is a little bit you lose the safety blanket there but we'll see we'll see what ends up happening uh, if that does come back to bite them and. Um, I think Alex Golish on Tuesday uh, had some compliments for Patrick Wilk, who's a walk-on running back out of Nashville, went to NBA. So it sounds like he would be next up. Um, you know, yeah. Maybe Tennessee would move somebody, a re- receiver, to that spot to try to train if, it, if bodies got low or even uh, maybe see Jeremy Banks in some short yard situations. If just, things... just get some duct tape for the, uh, yeah. for the football in his hands. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Uh, again, kind of like we've said, I don't think Dixon was going to be one of the main running backs on this team, but uh, you certainly rather have that body than not have that body. And uh, it, it puts a lot of pressure on, I think, a guy like Jabari Small to, to stay healthy this season. And, and the same thing goes for, for Jalen Wright and really that whole running back room. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that the health of the room is going to be something to watch throughout the entire season. And not that anybody is expecting you know, great health and, and anything different is going to be a, a big outlier or anything. But at the same time, Tennessee is going to need to manage the health of that room because it is going to be really important. Look, I, I think for the two freshman backs they're bringing in, they bring something unique to the table. They, they certainly bring a... a um, couple different qualities that I think Tennessee can can get the most out of or can take advantage of but at the same time man you don't want to be in a position where you are entering the final third of the season and only relying on a couple of uh, freshmen back so I think certainly the health of that room is going to be the most important thing to watch throughout the season yeah completely agree so other roster news uh, that we have been talking about this week. A Tennessee spokesperson confirmed to RTI on Tuesday morning after WVLT first reported it, but Tennessee has suspended uh, linebacker William Mohan indefinitely after an arrest of domestic aggravated assault on Sunday. Uh, and again, that was uh, confirmed to Rocky Top Insider by Tennessee and first reported by WVLT. This is an interesting story. And to me, you know, I... I I know we'll get into the linebacker in a second, but I go back to what Alex Golesh was talking about yesterday. He, he said that, hey, look, we, we are fully aware that classes start tomorrow. We understand that because, hey, we've been driving down Neal and Drive, and you see all the sorority houses, and you see Rush Week going on. You see the parties going on. You see all the students back on campus. Alex Golesh talked about how there are going to be so many distractions over the next eight days. And for them, this is absolutely an evaluation period where they're saying, hey, we want to know not only who has been putting in the work during training camp, but we got to know who is going to put these distractions to the side for this team, for this game. Obviously, one of these distractions that come up, which is with more people and more situations in the area, uh, William Mohan gets a you know, has the arrest over the weekend, gets suspended by Tennessee this week. Well, what did you think about that or kind of what was your reaction? Yeah, I mean, just I guess the number one thing that stands out, you know, just it seems like a real nasty situation just reading the Knoxville Police Department's uh, original kind of information that they put out there and, and certainly sounds like a really yeah, bad bad situation. And so, that you know, that's kind of number one. And number two is, you know, it doesn't – he doesn't seem uh, – Mohan doesn't, you know, might not – we'll see if all the facts come out and, and what everything looks like. But he's probably not a guy that's going to be able to, to move on past something like this. And, and we'll see. Obviously, Tennessee just indefinitely suspended him. They haven't done anything definitive. But he's not – you know, he's certainly not one of Tennessee's four linebackers who we expect to play a lot. And yep. the vibe I got had gotten is that he wasn't even necessarily in that next group either. If guys kind of knocking – 
knocking on the door to uh, to get involved. So I think from when you look at things from an on-field standpoint, it's not a massive loss, but certainly a bad situation that uh, you certainly don't want anyone in your program involved with. Okay, so I am assuming the four that you're referring to and then the two behind them, I'm going to go with you have Banks and Mitchell as kind of the, the ones right behind them. I, I believe you have Solon Page. Uh, what is he, the third? The third, the third? Yeah. Okay. Um, and Aaron Beasley. Is that kind of who you had in mind for that initial four? That is the first four. I will say I think Beasley will start over Mitchell. I do too. Though I think all three of those top guys will probably play very similar number of reps and are going to be on the field a ton. Yeah, and at the end of the day too, like you know, you really get into that second game against Pitt. It, to me, it's not even about who's starting. It's about who's in there for certain third down moments. It's yeah, about exactly. who's in there in, in certain drives. So that is certainly going to be a, a thing to watch. But I would imagine right behind them, uh, Ryan, you probably have Pack Garland, uh, Quase Garland, who, yeah. who, man, has been impressive to me this this uh, this fall. Just in the limited availability that we've been able to see from him, just looks like that he's really got some spring to his step and some pop to his hits. Uh, seems like he he could. He at least was flying around the field during training camp, so we'll see how that translates to the field. But was he uh, on that next deep? He was, and I'll give you one better. You remembered his, uh, you remembered his nickname of Pack, and when we talked to him, and it's really more than a nickname. It kind of seems like he, he, that's what he goes by. But yeah. I did not remember his Pack, but yeah, Quasi, they got a, they got Quasi a big Garland family. I had on there. The yeah, Garlands are a big old family. I believe they have nine or ten kids, yeah. uh, including Prime Garland. Uh, who is one of the uh, uh, defensive linemen for Tennessee? Big number ninety nine. Yeah, and I believe those those two guys spoke. Two brothers spoke on the same day, and I believe they said the older brother, a couple older brothers too, played. That's right. College football, coastal. Maybe. Yeah, coastal. That's it. Yeah, I was thinking. I was like, it, it Jamie wasn't, Chadwell. I was like, it wasn't a Power Five program, but I remember thinking it was a pretty good FBS program. So yeah, absolutely. So football family, and then you have a guess on the uh, <laughs> you have a guess on what the, that six linebacker I was gonna. I I the only thing that I can really think of right now is is a freshman. Uh, and I'm going to go with uh, Tennessee's own. Uh, I'll go with Herring, That's, Elijah. That was it. Okay, yeah. okay. And I think there's, I completely agree. By the way, yeah. And I think they're probably after those first four guys. There's a lot more. You know, we could be off. And who knows more. what situational yes, moments might affect situational it. stuff and what the development looks like over the course of the season. Because I think obviously when the season starts, outside of mop up duty, you know, I don't expect anybody outside of those first four to play a ton. So. Well, uh, you know, that, that competition, I think, kind of behind that first group will continue. But those were the two guys that uh, had caught my eye uh, during fall camp. Yeah, I would certainly agree. All right, I want to kind of take that thought and expand upon it a little bit. Ryan, we, we talk about guys who may be starting a game, but, you know, ultimately we want to see who's in for specific moments, right? A, an important third down on defense, a, a third and long on offense, right? Who is going to be that guy that Tennessee looks to? Has there been any position battles? right now with this Tennessee team that you, you kind of had an eye on at the beginning of camp, and now as we've moved our way into, I mean, what is this, the 24th of August, as we've moved over three weeks into camp, are there any position battles that you're starting to lock in a little bit more on, whether it be from something you see or something you've heard, and, and maybe you have a, an idea of what direction Tennessee is going to go, or at least just anything that's uh, stuck out to you? Yeah, I don't know if there's necessarily any the direction I feel like I know they're going to go, but Two that I'll be interested on both lines of scrimmage. I mean, the left tackle one is we've talked about it multiple yep. times on here. It's been one of the main talking points. And, you know, uh, both Alex Golish and Josh Heupel have said both those guys, Jeremiah Crawford and Gerald Mincy, are going to play in the first game, uh, you know, kind of saying that the battle is going to go on into, into the season. And, you know, why I don't have any reason not to expect that. There's so much variation in that comment because – 
you're playing Ball State, and you could go out there and play Jeremiah Crawford, who, if I had to guess, will take the first snap at left tackle, and you could go play him for the first four drives of the game, and the game could be it could be 24 to nothing, and the game would be over before Gerald Mincy gets in. So what does them splitting reps look like? Is that going to be a true 50-50 other, every other drive? I'm going to be really fascinated to see. And then... Not to say you can't play those guys. It's not like quarterback where you, you want to have a quarterback before <laughs> yeah, you yeah. get to the big games on the season. Offensive tackle is not like that. I still think there's going to be one of those guys that they're a little bit more comfortable with and is over the course of the season is going to become the starter. That doesn't mean that the other one may not play. They may When you play in an offense that goes as fast as Tennessee, You know, rotating guys on the offensive line becomes a lot more of a realistic thought or a necessary thought than it does in most offenses. But I, I do feel like by Pitt uh, and certainly by Florida, you may kind of truly have one guy who's separated. So I'll be interested to see that. You know, my hunch is that that would be Jeremiah Crawford mm-hmm. um, over Mincy. But, you know, I don't I don't know that definitively, and I think that'll be fascinating to see. And then the other one goes off of what um, Tim Banks kind of talked about today on a defensive line, you know, a defensive tackle spot that a lot of guys that are pretty similar that are going to play and – you know, I think that's something I, I talked about or maybe even wrote about too earlier uh, in camp is that, you know, Tennessee's got a lot of guys on the interior defensive line. Can any of them separate themselves? Yeah. Guy like Matthew Butler did last year. Can any of them take a step forward? And, you know, he was – Banks was complimentary of all the guys he talked about, Bumpus, Dejon Terry, uh, Elijah Simmons, and I'm forgetting who the last one was. There was one other guy that he gave, you know, credit to and said, you know, they've had a good fall camp. But it doesn't seem like there's been a ton of separation there. So I'm going to be interested to see who, what the reps look like more more than who even goes out there and makes plays, which obviously we'll be paying attention to, too, in game one against Ball State. I'll be interested uh, when we get the PFF grades the next day and it, you know, tells us who played how however many snaps. I'll, I'll be kind of really interested to see what – that breakdown looks like. Yeah, no doubt about it. Ryan, the only kind of, uh, the really only last thing I want to talk about kind of combines both topics that we've had so far throughout the show, both starting position battles and uh, just kind of interesting things that we've seen from camp so far. The wide receiver room. Uh, in case you've been living under a rock, the latest story around Tennessee, the, the ones that a lot of people are talking about right now, is Tennessee transfer wide receiver Brew McCoy. Uh, it, it's been a big deal over the uh, over the last couple of days. You know, when Tennessee started camp in the beginning of August, there was certainly initial optimism from Josh Heupel, from the other coaches, that, hey, this is something that was going to come to fruition at some point in the month of August. Now we sit here 24 days after that, actually 25 days after that, and still no movement on the uh, on the eligibility waiver for Brew McCoy. So a lot of... A lot of conversations started to spark over the weekend. A lot of people started coming together and trying to figure out maybe why this was happening. Now, social media uh, can often be a very impactful tool in today's day and age. And I, I look, and in a very weird way, I don't think that's any more uh, well shown than the fact that fans on Twitter, social media on Twitter, caused, uh, in my mind, kind of forced the hand of USC to go out and put a statement on Twitter, unprovoked, right? Uh, commenting on Tennessee, Brew McCoy, and USC. So uh, to me, that was just a very fascinating thing. But you also had that come out over the weekend on Friday morning. Josh Heupel talked about the situation himself saying, you know, hey, look, we've done everything we can. It's out of my hands. It's out of Brew's hands. It's out of our administration's hands. So I, I wonder if just kind of that perfect little storm of events, right? Josh Heupel pushing the, uh, uh, pushing the responsibility 
back over to USC with him saying, hey, on our side, we're doing everything we can. Then you have the the outpouring of support by fans and, and trying to make some noise on social media. Again, I think that all of these things kind of came together for a perfect storm. Now, obviously, we sit here on Wednesday and we still don't, you know, Tennessee still does not have that waiver for McCoy. Um, but it is really interesting how this thing has kind of unfolded over the last couple of days. It is, and before I get into it, Karat Garland was the fourth person. I don't know. We were literally just talking about his family. <laughs> Prime. And, uh, yeah, we were literally just talking about him, and I forgot about him. But no, moving on to the McCoy situation, and it is a fascinating one, I think, in a lot of ways. And you're right, it they kind of put out the comment unprovoked, um, which it was the same You know, credit to our fellow or our former colleague, uh, Trey Wallace, who, you know, I think really was ba- was badgering USC trying to get a comment on the situation all of last week, and he got the statement that they ended up putting out, I believe, on Sunday night was what they gave uh, Trey on Saturday. So, I, you know, I'm sure they kind of had that statement, and the continuous stuff from Tennessee kind of pushed them to put it out. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a really interesting one. And, you know, I said at the time, you know, when we talked at the start of fall camp, I did not think this was going to be a layover by any means. And, USC says they're not trying to stop it, but you know they have the right to be able to just sign something that makes them improved, and they're just kind of sitting on that. And uh, you know I don't think that's totally shocking. I mean, Brew McCoy and USC pretty clearly have a tumultuous relationship. I mean, he uh, had the arrest, and then the charges mm-hmm. dropped, and that all happened before the season last year. And he was not admitted back on the USC team, and USC did not. And that seemed more like from an administration side, which I will say it seems more like the administration now that's holding things back, not Lincoln Riley and the new coaching staff there. And Brew McCoy and his family sued USC for not having grounds to keep him off, uh, or I think was a danger to the student body was the was what USC claimed. And so there's been you know there's been a lot of bad blood there. And, and Brew McCoy dropped that lawsuit I believe this summer probably in hopes of it yep. helping getting him eligible. So we're gonna it'll be really interesting to see what happens there. Um, you know, I think as Trey had some reporting on Tennessee, went ahead and uh, since USC is not denying uh, McCoy's request to be immediately eligible, they just went ahead and immediately turned in a, or went ahead and turned in a waiver to the NCAA to have them look at it. Yeah. And that's where USC, when USC claims they're not doing anything to stop Brew McCoy from being eligible, they're not, you know, they're not feeding the NCAA negative information is pr- essentially what they're saying. Uh, so it's kind of a, a half truth, uh, I guess you could say from them. So. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see. It feels like one when you get into with the NCAA that it could go into the season. I mean, we saw that with Byron Young last year. Yeah. Um, and obviously that situation was was different too. But uh, uh, did Cade Mays play the season opener? That no, he, he didn't. Okay, um, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. against against South Carolina. I was going to say against USC, different USC uh, that year. He didn't play the season opener. So uh, it'll be really interesting to see and. Uh, it's going to be interesting when Brew McCoy gets out on the field how, how productive he can be, uh, especially if he misses a game early or, or multiple games early and doesn't really have a tune-up. Alex Golish talked on Tuesday that he would like to aim for maybe seven to eight wide receivers that they could have in rotation coming up this season. He said that's kind of how they started last season, but as you get into conference play, they really had to shrink that room. You, you saw Jalen Hyatt kind of uh, go on the back burner a little bit, and you really saw Tennessee's three-headed monster of Javante Payton, Cedric Tillman, and Bayless Jones Jr. This year, though, Tennessee does feel like they have more depth uh, with McCoy added in, although again, we just talked about it, his future is uncertain at the moment. But you know, when Alex Golish talks about seven to eight receivers that he thinks Tennessee could rotate through, to me, at least that's Tillman, Hyatt, Keaton, McCoy, uh, Jimmy Callaway. I think there's been a lot of conversation about Walker Merrill, Squirrel White. 
Uh, Jimmy Holiday, who we talked to today. Caleb Webb is another talented freshman that they've been talking about. Now, I don't think that all of those guys are, are going to have the same impact that maybe the guy next to them does. But I at least think that, hey, Tennessee does want to be in a position where if they can, they would like to be rotating seven to eight receivers in per game just to give each other a little bit of fresh legs, just to maybe do some different things with the scheme. Obviously, part of that has to do with uh, Brew getting that eligibility for this season, but that's at least kind of uh, look, we know that Tennessee has to replace two starters out of the wide receiver trio. We know that Jalen Hyatt's probably going to be one of those. Maybe Ramel Keaton's going to be that that one game one if McCoy especially cannot uh, play that game. And then, you know, who knows when he kind of progresses along in, into the starting lineup if that came to be throughout the season. But uh, to me, at least, that's kind of the, the list of guys who I think are in that conversation who could be factored into the game at some point. Tillman, Hyatt, McCoy, Callaway, Merrill, Keaton— Squirrel, Holiday, and Caleb Webb. Yeah, and I would agree. That's the guys that will factor into that. But I, I completely going back to uh, around the horn, horn show. Always watch, you know, after. Oh, with Reality. Yeah, buy yeah. or buy or sell. I'm completely selling that comment. I mean, there's oh, just, <laughs> there's just no way Tennessee plays seven or eight. Rec- maybe, and not that all these guys aren't ca- capable, but you're taking you're going to take Cedric Tillman off the field for. Ramel Keaton to play a lot of snaps. I don't think you're, you, the Tennessee may do that, but it's going to surprise me if they do. And, and when Jalen Hyatt has a season, I think he's going to have. I think those guys are going to be hard to take off the field. So I look more for four, five, probably five guys is what I think you'll see play meaningful reps. You might have a sixth guy, you might have a seventh guy get in there, uh, but you know I, I sell that comment. I think Tennessee's top receivers are are going to be too effective uh, for them to want to take off the field for for too many snaps. But you're right, they're and it really, the more you know, I think about it, it could get to six. If you get Brew McCoy eligible, Walker Merrill, there's been so much buzz uh, around him. And then I think Tennessee does have some real talent in the slot. I think Jimmy Callaway, the consistency, makes it a question mark whether he'll find the field. But if he can be consistent, I think you have, when you throw Squirrel White in there to go with Jalen Hyatt, you have three guys in the slot that probably have earned trust uh, and have earned to get reps, which is what Alex Golish is talking about. But, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that all shakes out. Tremendous reference from you. Right there, that 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 one got me. The the reality with buy or sell around the horn. Yeah, it's a, it's a great segment. And, not not and bad at all. And I'm selling. All right, well I got to uh, I got to compose myself a little bit because I'm laughing quite a bit. Let's go ahead and take a break, and then ah uh, ah, uh, we're gonna go around the horn with a little bit more Tennessee sports news on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass. We'll be right back. And now back to the show. All right, here we go back here on the Rocky Tump Insider Press Pass. Rick Butler and Ryan Shumpert hanging out with you as we are talking a little Tennessee football here with the season now just eight days away. I cannot believe it. Ryan, you know, we, we've been talking about USC. We've been talking about Pittsburgh. Let's go ahead and combine them for the two and talk about Tennessee's Week 2 opponent. Um, let's see. Earlier this morning, according to Pete Thamel of ESPN, Pittsburgh has informed USC transfer uh, Keaton Slovis that he's going to be the starting quarterback the team announced Wednesday. So, I think that was expected. I think that was what the assumed route was going to be. But now we certainly have a locked-in quarterback opponent for uh, Tennessee's Week 2 against Pittsburgh. Yeah, it would have been a big surprise if it wasn't Slovis. I think we've talked about you know that game a lot since it's Tennessee's first kind of big first game in the season. One. Yeah, and Slovis is a guy that's come up in, in about all of our conversations. And it's a fascinating one. I mean, it goes one, it goes back to kind of reminds you how many USC quarterbacks 
transfer quarterbacks are, are you know all around the country, basically starting at different schools. Uh, we're, we'll see them face off week one, Pittsburgh and West Virginia, uh, with JT Daniels, who's now there, and then obviously Jackson Dart uh, at, Ole Miss. at Ole Miss. Yeah, yep. but you know with Slovis, it's it's kind of like a lot of those guys. They've showed potential. They had flashes at USC where they were really good. But there's a reason USC has a new football coach this year. And when you have a really good quarterback play, you usually aren't working, looking for a new new, uh, new coach. And that's because none of these guys really put it together. And Slovis, I think, is a great example of that. He played back in 2019. He kind of played at a back half of that season and was really impressive. 3,500 yards, 30 touchdowns, 9 interceptions. And then in the COVID-shortened season, which I think USC played just five games, it's kind of hard to keep up with what the Pac-12 did between the cancellations <laughs> and the, and the shortened season. But again, 67% completion percentage, just shy of 2,000 yards, 17 touchdowns, seven interceptions. And USC had a good, again, shortened season, but they were good. Slovis was really good. Fourth quarter of games, they won a lot of close games. And then you got to last year, and... Here those stats. The the one kind of consistent, I think, knock on Slovis going into last year was he turned the ball over too much, and that continued. And the other stuff that was good didn't come with it. And USC struggled to start the year. He was their starting quarterback uh, to start the year, and then eventually got benched, uh, throwing just 11 touchdowns to eight interceptions. So he's a, he's a little bit of a gunslinger. That's when Jackson Dart, uh, who's now at Ole Miss, replaced him. So he's a little bit of a gunslinger, but he the talent's there, and it's it's interesting that his flaw has been the interceptions because he comes into a place and I don't know how much, you know, people have been following with what Pat Narduzzi said, you know, this offseason, but he fired the offense coordinator and they parted ways with the offense coordinator. And he talked about how, man, boy, would our offense core, we would never run the ball. And we, I couldn't get that guy to run the ball. And he complained a lot about his offense coordinator, not running the ball. And that was with a freaking Heisman trophy candidate uh, playing quarterback for him. So uh, this peak defense coordinator, head coach comments. And we, I say all that uh, related to this to say, if Slovis is turning the ball over a lot, that's that is the last thing Narduzzi wants. It seems like he's especially with that defense they have back. He wants to be able to manage the game from the offensive side of the ball, which I think makes this Slovis at Pittsburgh a really interesting fit and a really interesting situation. And I think, kind of like uh, an Anthony Richardson or a Spencer Rattler, I think there's kind of. Uh, a big variation between what the ceiling is and what the floor is this year. So it's going to be really fascinating to watch, but all that to say, not surprised that, that he's going to be the guy for Pitt when they face West Virginia, also in eight days on, on Thursday night. Yeah, again, that announcement came down this morning, so that would be Wednesday morning. Ryan, I think you just said this a second ago, but you're right, that, that week one match between West Virginia and Pittsburgh with JT Daniels probably going to start for the Mountaineers and, and Slovis starting for, for Pittsburgh, both former USC quarterbacks, Certainly going to be interesting and just one of the many good uh, storylines right now in college football. Ryan, let's swing back over to the Tennessee side of things and just kind of wrap up some conversation. We will be back next week for some kind of week one breakdown. Not exactly sure what the plan is going to look like for that, but do not worry. We will be here with the Press Pass podcast talking about week one for the Tennessee Volunteers. A little bit of a weird schedule, so we will figure that out as we go. But, Ryan, just kind of closing down on the Tennessee thoughts, I want to go back to yesterday one more time just uh, as one of my final thoughts, and, and Alex Golesh, offensive coordinator for Tennessee, had a really great line uh, that I think packed a lot into not a lot of words. He, he said this, in a lot of ways, that's what I spent all spring doing. Man, we hurt them here. They're going to take that away. So what's the next counterpunch to that? You know, it, it's it's a real chess game mentality that I think Tennessee has, and, and Tennessee's really been working on this year. And you think, and you, you can see how that's the 
that's the natural progression of this offense and where this coaching staff is. Last year, you come into the SEC, year one, not a lot of people have tape on you. Obviously, as you progress through the season, people are going to collect more and more tape, but it's completely different than going into year two where people and coordinators have now had an entire offseason to study what this Tennessee offense is going to look like. So immediately when I, when I heard that line yesterday, I thought back to something like Javante Payton. Right? How many games last year, just how many moments did Javante Payton have a big-time catch during the first drive of the game? I, I mean, I remember against uh, Kentucky, I believe, he, he opened the game with a score. Maybe against either uh, South Carolina or uh, Missouri as well. But he certainly was one of Tennessee's hottest weapons right there in the opening drive. So basically what Golish is saying here is, hey, you know, let's go back to last season. If, if we knew that... Javante Payton through the air was going to be a big-time playmaker, we have to assume that the defense is now going to know that as well. So how are we now going to prepare for what the defense is now going to prepare to do as well? Here's the interesting uh, quote he said. You've got to anticipate answers to people's answers. I just I really like that quote. I think it's, it's short and simple and sweet, uh, but it really gets to the point, and it really kind of emphasizes what this league is, right? It's not just, hey, playing to your strength and then hoping that works for the best. It's playing to your strength, but also trying to outsmart your opponent as well as you kind of predict which route they're going to react with. Uh, So that's just a lot of words to say that I I think that certainly Tennessee's offense is in the right mindset heading into this year. Kind of this chess game mindset that I'm very interested to see how that unfolds uh, throughout, especially these first few weeks, but of course the season in general. Yeah, I think really more, to me, it'll be interesting. I guess Pittsburgh, they played last year, too. But when you get an SEC play, and, you know, obviously there was tape on, on Tennessee's offense because they were running it at Central Florida. But for those SEC coaches who have now faced it, you know, what, what their adjustments look like. And, yeah, I think that's an obvious, was pretty obvious that that was going to be something Tennessee's going to face this year. And uh, it's certainly positive that they're proactive in facing it they know it's coming but you know we'll figure out the answers when, when we get on the field and you know I think we saw last year I don't think it's as simple as just saying this but Tennessee's offense you know this is a minor in games situation but they came out really good in a lot of first quarters and then second quarter struggled when when teams made adjustments and I don't think it's just as simple as Tennessee didn't have the right uh, adjustments to the adjustments I don't, it's a, a lot of stuff that goes into that not just that but that's a part of it that's you know a smaller degree where we saw Tennessee struggle in finding those answers. Last year, it'll certainly be interesting to see what that looks like this year. Ryan, you and I have watched a whole lot of Tennessee football so far throughout the month of August. We have certainly talked to a lot of the coaches and players. Do you have any kind of final takeaway or or final wrap-up thought uh, as we kind of in the the training camp portion of the season and next week we roll into game week? Yeah, I'll say a couple – Maybe position groups or a position group that surprised me and a guy that I'm going to be interested to see, uh, or two guys I'll be interested to see. Um, I'll start with the running back group, and you know we talked about them earlier with the J. Dixon loss and the the hit for the depth that that was. But you know I think I'm higher on that group and what they have in that group when you besides the depth standpoint, I'm a good bit higher. Uh, you know there's only so much you can draw from what we get to watch at practice, and but from between what we have watched, what we've heard, what the coaches have said. I think Tennessee's got you know a lot of good answers there. Uh, Jabari Small, people have raved about him taking the next step. Seriously. Jalen Wright, we haven't got to see him a lot, and I don't think the coaches have got to see him a lot. I think uh, Alex Golish was saying yesterday was the first day that yep. he was 100% full contact. But he was impressive last year, and he's added weight to his frame, which was to me the big question. He's the guy that I'm going to be fascinated to watch. And then the two freshmen, uh, I think, are have been – 
as good, if if not better than expected. And certainly, I think Dylan Sampson has been a lot better than what I expected. And I'm going to be fascinated to see what that breakdown looks like behind Jabari Small as the starter for one. And I'll be really and also interested to see how much those freshman running back play and what they look like because I think that group, outside the fact that only that they're super thin. I think the bodies that they do have that are healthy are really, really good and better than expected. You know, somebody asked Hendon Hooker about the running back room today, and he started by talking about Dylan Sampson. I, yeah. I think, again, that is a certainly continued storyline throughout camp about how much people have really been raving about the the freshman, uh, the, the former three-star freshman. Yeah, really, and one that you know, didn't seem like Tennessee. No. Went, went down into Louisiana and, and got him and— it wasn't like Jordan Matthews a few weeks ago where there was a lot of – it was contested to go down there and get him. It didn't seem like Tennessee had to battle uh, a whole lot. Delane Sampson and then two other guys, uh, I'll try to be quicker. Walker Merrill, yeah, I mentioned him, I think, in the last uh, last segment. Been a lot of buzz about him. But there was a lot of buzz about him, I think, kind of going into his last season. And granted, he was a freshman then, so a lot of that's just freshman buzz, which is different than the good things we've heard about him this year. But can he take from what he did in practice and put it on the field? I'll be really interested to see. And certainly if Brew McCoy is not eligible to start the season, that's going to be a lot of opportunities that come Walker Merrill's way. He's got that new slick visor. Yes, yeah, the the, the dark visor. And then uh, lastly, this is a guy we've talked about a lot throughout fall camp, but Juwan Mitchell, just what does he look like? Uh, Completely different tone and vibe around him than there was all of last season even before he got hurt and certainly after he got hurt when there didn't you know seem to be a ton of optimism that he was going to come back and be a really big part of this 2022 Tennessee football team so he looks good the buy-in's been there and certainly like we talked about earlier that's a room that Tennessee needs needs capable bodies in and I think he can can help out a lot and I'll be interested to see him Certainly three interesting names to watch right there for the Tennessee Volunteers heading into the season that is Pretty much going to conclude our Tennessee training camp talk. Again, we will be back next week to kind of wrap things up and get you ready for the uh, get you ready for week one and just everything that will go into that. But Ryan, going back to last week in order to close the show today, man, people really liked uh, the shout out segment that we did. I think it's always fun just kind of to you know closing a show down by by switching up the topics a little bit, going around the different sports worlds and things like that. So I will go ahead and start us off today just as we wrap up this edition of the press pass. Man, shout out. To alternate uniforms. Okay. All right. On Thursday, Tennessee announced that they were bringing back the smoky gray uniforms. And that over the course of the next three years, Tennessee would be introducing a brand new gray uniform each of those three years. So four years from now, we will have four different jerseys uh, for the Tennessee football program. Now, here's my thing. I I like the the smoky grays. I think they look cool. I think they look good on the field, so on and so forth. They're not my favorite alternate jersey, but remember, I didn't give a shout-out to the smoky grays. I gave a shout-out to alternate jerseys because I am a, look, I'm a believer in it. I know that at the end of the day, it's not the biggest aspect of football by any stretch of the imagination, but I am a, a proponent of alternate uniforms. I am a proponent of switching things up a little bit. I know that Tennessee has one of the top traditions in the country, like an LSU, like an Alabama, like a Penn State, like an Ohio State. It's an iconic look and an iconic brand. But you just have to realize that we live in a completely different world today than any other point so far where these kids are 
always on social media. They're always in front of a camera. They're always in front of a light. They're always in front of a video camera, something like that. Man, these kids want to look good, and they want to play good. And I do think that those two things combined, I think you talked to Tennessee's team last year, and you saw how much they enjoyed wearing those dark mode uniforms. So for me, I give a big shout-out to alternate jerseys. I realize that it might break up a little bit of the tradition that Tennessee has had in place, but you know what? I, I think it's a good thing to do for the future. I know that's a hot take, but I, I really like alternate jerseys when done the right way. Not like not every week going crazy like an organ or something, but hey, sometimes you can switch it up and you can have fun with it. That's okay. Yeah, well, I think as we both know, we disagree uh, on this on this uh, this take. And, I know, and it's, it's it's remarkable that Alabama's won all these football games the last decade without these alternate uniforms, <laughs> and how much oh. the kids look, like to look good and feel good. All I mean, right, it's crazy. I'll get off your lawn. It's now. crazy. Okay, um, but you know, I I, I will say. You're right. You hit the nail on the head that it's it's about what the players want, and when these decisions are overall, you know, kind of meaningless and and winning games and not. So yeah. I think it makes sense that Heupel has gone with that. And I guess the uh, two takes on that on the alternate uniforms also seem there's been a little bit of hints about maybe some black helmets too. Uh, I well, saw, those were supposed to come out with dark mode last year, but if you yes, remember, because of the yeah. um, the supply chain issues, they were not able to do that, so they just. That was like a la- the the helmet last year with the black incorporated design. That was like yeah. a last minute thing just thrown together by the equipment team. I remember talking about this then. Shout out to them because for a last minute emergency job, that helmet looked awesome. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, so, and I guess really that's more. I mean, I don't mind Tennessee wearing alternate uniforms. I don't like the idea of them having two different ones because that means twice a year you got to not wear the orange uniforms. Okay, I got to add to the shout out. Please do real quick. Um, and this is because, well, it's Purdue football, and I know that's not near and dear to Tennessee fans' hearts after last year's Music City Bowl. <laughs> but, and they need to do alternate uniforms because they're in a much different place. But go search their Cradle of Astronauts helmet that they're going to introduce sometime this season. You know, keep in mind, a lot of famous astronauts went to Purdue, and they they are absolutely glorious wow yeah that's that's all that's all i gotta say those are nice yeah alternate uniforms and helmets i'm a fan of them too honestly um um but that's it i'm shutting up now but you got to check it out bob is right go look at these uh it's a it's a slick ice white helmet with a with a, a a glossy gold uh face mask portion with a gold visor man looks very good bob baskerville everybody ladies and gentlemen that is him Okay, Ryan, that is the uh, alternate jersey shout-out. What do you got for the table? Yeah, shout-out Candace Parker. Okay. Candace Parker and Chicago Sky put the New York Liberty to bed in Game 3 of the WNBA playoffs to advance to the semifinals. Candace Parker, phenomenal in that clinching game, 14 points, 13 rebounds, 8 assists. Still a beast. Candace Parker, shout-out. Very nice. Wow, tremendous. Good stuff there. You got any more? Nope. Shout-out Jalen Smith, three-star Tennessee Linebacker commit. Oh, yeah, okay. High three-star opened up his season, uh, as just about everybody did. And uh, I believe they were playing that game at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, it looked like, to open wow. the season. And he had a, had a fantastic game. Ten tackles, uh, nine of them solo in a sack. He's a guy that I think when you look at – Tennessee's got a lot of high three-star uh, recruits committed right now, and I think if you look at the ones that have a chance to be yeah. to be bumped, I, I think he's up there. And more than anything, I think he's uh, just a really good football player. His size probably hurts him a little bit in the rankings process, but he's one of the one of the guys I like the most in this Tennessee class. You wrote about Nico's week one. Anything stand out about that, Nico Iamaliava? Uh, the team from Hawaii they played shouldn't have been playing them. That's my take. 
Okay. I thought about shouting out him, but that team they played was too bad to even <laughs> to even give a shout out. Felt like I was back at, at Clinton High School watching them beat, <laughs> beat down on William Blunt, which is how I how I spent my Friday nights. So, no, N- Nico will probably have a lot of chance to earn shout outs this year, but he's yeah. not getting one for that performance. Okay, fair enough. Fair Though he enough. played really well, I don't mean to say that he was like bad or anything. He was just yeah. dominating a bad team. So. All right, well, that is going to be it for us today on this awesome Wednesday, August 24th edition of the show. Again, next week, we'll be back on the podcast getting you ready and then getting you uh, uh, broken down from the week one Tennessee football game against Purdue that's going to be on Thursday night in Neyland Stadium, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. It's going to be fun. We will be there getting you ready, and we will certainly be there along the way to uh, to bring you all the different Tennessee news, notes, and coverage. As always, go ahead and follow Rocky Top Insider on all of social media. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and YouTube. If you want to go and follow Ryan, you can do that at rshump00. If you want to go and follow me, you can do that at rick underscore butler. But otherwise, man, we're going to get out of here. We will see you back next week for game week for the Tennessee football volunteers. For Ryan Shumpert, I'm Rick Butler. It's been the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass.